0: Hello and welcome! You are listening to Resiliency, a podcast that takes an inside look at enhancing the vitality and resilience of field workers. From experts in member care to frontline field workers, our guests will bring you their experience, their lessons learned, and always something practical you can take away and use to increase your resiliency in cross-cultural life and ministry. Co-hosts Silas West and Steve Finley are just one part of an ever-growing and strengthening net of member care in the Antioch Movement. They want to see Matthew 24:14 happen and do everything they can to help field workers have the kind of resilience that enables them to make it for the long haul.
1: Well, welcome everyone to Resiliency. This, this is a cool uh, episode for me and maybe for Silas because rather <laughs> than me saying, uh, I'm your host Steve Finley with my co-host Silas West, or him saying that about me, today I get to say... I'm your host, Steve Finley, with my guest, Silas West, <laughs> and uh, it's a joy for me, Silas, to be, I would say, like, sort of mining some of the depth of you. Um, I'm so grateful for the last three years now of working shoulder-to-shoulder in pastoral care with AMI here in Waco, and just you being, yeah, I mean, my right-hand man in what we're doing, and... Uh, not just because of what you do, and that's part of what today's episode and interview is about. It's not just because of what you do for the people of AMI, though everybody who's hearing this that knows you and everybody around Waco that knows you is, would say, man, Silas has helped me so much. But really, it's, it's who you are. Mm-hmm. You truly, you work out of and you operate out of a core a spiritual core that is like, uh, yeah, even as I say that word, spiritual core, it makes me think of like a nuclear power plant, that the core is where there's so much energy and there's so much power, and that's, that's who you are, and today we kind of get to plumb a little bit of the depths of your core by talking about this subject of uh, contemplation or uh, living or practicing a, a contemplative lifestyle and um, that's something that's near and dear to your heart. I would say that in my life, I probably have, I probably rubbed shoulders with any number of people who practice a contemplative lifestyle, and I think part of our interview will actually uh, kind of let our listeners know that it's not just this one thing you do, and then you live a contemplative lifestyle, but I probably run into a lot of people through the years who would say, yes, I'm very intentional about being contemplative, but as I've you know, come to know you and our friendship has grown, uh, you actually, you share about this and you talk about this and not because you're like, here's here's what I do and it's so great, but it's so important to you and it's such a essential part of you having resilience in your life. I think you're one of the more busy people that I know. <laughs> um, you, you do great work at home in your family in intentionality with Kimberly and your four kids as much as anybody I know. You do great work uh, in your counseling practice here with AMI. You do great work in volunteering and, oh my goodness, children's ministry, youth ministry, so many different aspects of the church life here at Antioch, Waco. And I say all that to say you're busy and you're busy about things with a great intentionality. And I think think that what we talk about today um, will kind of shed light on how you do all of that. And I would say that you... You stay at rest, and you you minister, and you live out of a deep spiritual core. Mm, yeah. So, with that introduction, and with my gratitude being expressed for who you are and for our friendship, um, let's talk a little bit about contemplation. Contemplation. Do you yeah. like this? Do you like that? The sound of that. Uh, yeah. Uh, the first time I started talking to you about it, I called it. A, a contemplative lifestyle, and then I realized, man, I'm such a yeah, hick. It's it's,
0: <laughs> con- it's, contemplative. it's <laughs> contemplative. The right way. The right yes. way to say it.
1: Well, I'll say this. What what is contemplation? What is the, what are we talking about today?
0: Yeah, I think I think in order to to say what it is, it's going to be a good idea to say what it's not. And cool. um, and you and I were having a little bit of a conversation in the truck coming coming into here today, and and this idea of. People who go off into the wilds and just sit, and that's all they do. That's not necessarily a contemplative lifestyle, though that practice actually was where this whole movement was birthed with the desert fathers and mothers who went off into the deserts of Egypt. But it wasn't because they were trying to to not do anything or they were trying to to still themselves. It was because they're trying to get away from the... um, the ideology and the, the culture that was driving them to do things in the way that they were doing it. Mm. So a contemplative lifestyle is, is you, you kind of nailed it when you were talking about intentionality. There's a lot of intentionality to it. So, so that's a piece of it. But I think one of the things I'm learning more and more is it, it isn't this, so much this other than kind of language that, yeah. that, that we often associate with yeah, it. Yeah, I know I have. It's know. really more about abiding. It's another way of of looking at abiding, and it, it it's not, I guess it's not even another way of looking at abiding. It's abiding, but learning how to 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 abide more deeply, and more fully. I can't think of anybody listening to this that doesn't doesn't want to hear more about they, this because who doesn't want that? <laughs> I think I think one of the beautiful things about Antioch is that we are by nature drawn to an idea of a contemplative lifestyle. Yeah. Um, if you if you look at it from that that description I just gave we are a people who want to learn how to abide more deeply. Yes. Um, And I think the only problem with that is we bring into it a lot of, just a lot of of values that are more uh, society and cultural than than maybe spiritual. And so uh, one of the things that a contemplative lifestyle would help us to do or a contemplative practice to begin to unpack those and ask the deeper questions about them doesn't necessarily mean we aren't goal-oriented, doesn't necessarily mean we wouldn't be driven and achievement-focused right. toward the vision, but that we would be continually refining how we do that so that we're leaving and sh- behind and shedding some of the, the more cultural or social or even Western points of view that, um, that are a part of it that sometimes might distract our ability to truly abide. Wow. And I think part of our grappling with the, the increase of... Um, anxiety and depression in the, in the mission workforce has a lot to do with that we're, we're bringing into it too much of our cultural normatives and, um, and and associating those with a spiritual goal or spiritual orientation and so that they, they get a little bit confused and, and mixed up and as we can separate those and pull those pieces apart and, and leave behind the things that need to be left behind we're left with a more tr- true core, ability to um, to focus on what God's really called us to do. So what would be like an example of what you just now said that we're taking
1: things from culture you know and and you're talking about we need to separate some of those
0: things. Yeah it starts with a mindset and I think that's kind of what um, what a contemplative worldview or a contemplative mindset it's allowing ourselves to um, to be rewired to let our brains be rewired. It's not saying prayers for instance it's, it's uh, living in awareness that, that God is, is um, awareness of God that is part of our everyday life um, so that whatever we do becomes prayer. So we would just be,
1: in our vernacular maybe, we would just say that ongoing conversation with God, abiding in Jesus is not simply a quiet time, though it's important to have that early in the morning time that scripture describes so much that Jesus himself practiced but the ongoing conversation that you're talking about is the ongoing abiding in Jesus.
0: It is. It is. It's, that, it, it's like Paul says, pray without ceasing. Mm-hmm. And a, con- a contemplative lifestyle is one that prays without ceasing. But it's not meaning that we separate ourselves to do this kind of prayer thing, the saying of prayers or this this process of... Um, bringing our request to Jesus or, or whatever. But it's just living in this awareness that God is wherever wherever we, do, we are, wherever we go, whatever we do, God is in that and a part of it. But I think to go a little even beyond that vernacular, like mm-hmm. you said, it's not just then having an ongoing dialogue with God, but then it's continually evaluating what our dialogue is. Because mm-hmm. sometimes we, uh, for instance, I, I, I'm talking with my wife, and I, I realize after... 15 years, 20 years of being married to her, some of the ways that I talk to her aren't the ways that, that she finds to be blessing a blessing. Mm-hmm. And so as I change how I talk and maybe understand a deeper level of the motives by which I, I communicate with her and re- those become more refined, she is more blessed by our communication. And so even, it's not even just ongoing conversation with God, but an, an ongoing awareness of how we are, are having that conversation. Okay,
1: so I don't want to leave that subject too quickly because you just said that the way that you have conversation with Kimberly could be a blessing or not a blessing, or it could be more of a blessing. So we're not talking about God you know, judging our our ongoing conversation with him on whether or not it, we're doing it right mm. and the way that is best for him. So
0: that's unpack it really... a little bit more. I'm trying to, to catch your train no, of thinking that's, here. That's really a good question, a good a good clarification. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it isn't that we can bless God more by how we talk, but it's about getting more close to the core of who we are. Less less of the we live. We are people that live on the periphery of, of life of our life. Um, and what I mean by that is, so much of our life is d- dictated and determined by the way that we compare ourselves to one another. Mm-hmm. By you know, our 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 culture and Western culture is so determined by um, advertisement and by success and what is what success even is, mm-hmm. and and so that becomes so much of how we operate. Out of and and a, a, our discipleship process is always about talking about how we can become less and less affected by. By those elements. Mm. But uh, a, a true contemplative uh, lifestyle is one that tries to get closer and closer and closer to the core of who we are, which is that place where the Holy Spirit and our soul communicate and, and, dwell, and, and dwell together. When, when, um, when we read in, in 1 Corinthians five twenty one, he who, be, who was without sin became sin so that we could become the, the righteousness of God in Christ. That right, We become the righteousness of God in Christ when we, when we enter into a relationship with Jesus. And that's, a, that's just a done deal, that's a given. But then we have all these periphery things, these um, mindsets, our brokenness, sometimes trauma, uh, which causes, affects the way we think. In, in counseling we would call it cognitive distortions. We have all of these things that keep us at the periphery of life. And at the very core is we are the righteousness of God in Christ. Mm. And a, a contemplative lifestyle continues to draw us into that core. And and so then the things that come out of our mouth and the actions that come out of our hands become more and more reflective of our core and less and less reflective of the periphery. So
1: a little while ago you said it was a, you were defining contemplation. I'm kind of hearing contemplation being more defined here. Contemplation is one thing it is sounds like is that we are deliberate about slowing down enough to think and to consider i've heard you saying things just now that had to do with our motivations Mm -hmm. what are we what is motivating us to do what we're doing um our expectations whether that be our perceived expectations of others of us or or what have you but yeah there's a there's a there's a cognitive element to what you're talking about where we're intentional mm-hmm. about thinking you know what what is it like thinking about what if I were to say uh, today after I talking with Silas I'm going to be a bit more contemplative what are some of the things I'm not simply talking about now what are we do we go do ABC you know one two three right but more like just to be in that mindset what are some of the things that that would help me to yeah have that more of a contemplative lifestyle practice. Like um,
0: specific practices that support a contemplative lifestyle? Sure, yeah. So a few that I interact with or, or use, one of them is called centering prayer. It's mm-hmm. something I do in the in the morning. It's not something that I do to replace any of my other, our more traditional prayer practices. And By traditional, I mean like what we would do in the, in the Antioch kind of evangelical type thing where we're reading the Word, we're spending time with Jesus. Centering prayer... Is a foundational element I use to that, which is a twenty-minute prayer time, where I don't say anything to God, I don't uh, I don't look for a word or a prophetic word of knowledge or that thing to make me feel better. Uh, I'm not looking for my for for an experience with God, um, okay. because sometimes our emotion, those experiences, then the emotion that we feel because of it validates the fact that we were with God. And, and so then, mm. if I didn't have the experience, then I feel invalidated. Mm. But it's actually a, a conscious choice to concede to the presence of God, whether I feel Him or not, whether I'm aware of it in my, in my thinking or not. Um, so there's no agenda going into it. It's just a sitting and, um, in a sense, surrendering myself to His presence for 20
1: minutes. S- so you're saying centering prayer, as you practice it, is surrendering afresh to God without you're not making requests to God right you're not necessarily worshiping him in a conscious word based mm-hmm. way but simply centering practicing the presence of God yeah sitting in his presence sitting in his presence And but but a, a conscious
0: surrender a very of conscious then that, yeah that's the biggest part is conceding to his presence okay. because a lot of times I'm, I'm interacting with people who are talking about yeah i'm just I'm going through this dry spell or I just had a really dry quiet time. I just mm. didn't feel the presence of God'm right, yeah. like yeah th- that's that's very real, mm-hmm. but why does your why do, why does your t- time with God have to be validated by your emotions
1: mm. <laughs>
0: Why does your time with God have to be validated by this conscious thought that you have or this awareness that you have because don't we believe that he's with us always mm. And so when we can get to that place where that becomes a place of peace and of rest, not a place of angst, we we enter into the beginning of what it means to be contemplative. Hmm. It's
1: good. But it's, you know, it would be easy for somebody to say, it sounds a little bit Eastern mystical, kind of like an emptying of our of our minds, or what, you know, what have you. And yet what, talk, talk to me for a moment about that. Like the practice sure. can be valid of, you know, talk, tell me about that. How does, yeah. how
0: does it differ in that sense? Well, for one, it's conceding to the presence of God. Right. So we, first and foremost, we're always starting with the Holy Spirit. Hmm. Um, secondly, this is something that's been around in the Christian church for centuries. Some of the earliest, the earliest practitioners of, of the faith, they did centering prayer. And so there probably are, are some connections to eastern the the Eastern mindset because Jesus himself was mm-hmm. an eastern have, of an Eastern mindset, yes, and so many of the early practitioners of the faith would have had a, an a, a world view and uh, maybe a more introverted less uh outward focused worldview of uh, that would lead itself to this type of contemplative mindset so I think to just throw it away as. Because it it smacks of Eastern mm. meditation, that might be a little bit of a a danger. Because a probably um, Jesus Himself would have been more prone to a contemplative mm. or centering kind of a a, pers- a perspective mm. of life. Um, but I think whether or not we want to go there, yeah. I think the main thing is this is a, an action of first of all we are surrendering ourselves to the Holy Spirit, mm. and so it's not emptying our mind. For the sake of just being empty, it is clearing our mind of the things that would distract us from being able to have true communion with the Holy Spirit. Oh, that's good. I love that. That's yeah, great, I think that's the key right there. Yeah. And it's all of these distractions, including our own emotions and our own thoughts, mm-hmm. that just it, I don't know what, what's going on at the core of who I am. Paul talks about um, the, the, the Spirit prays for us and groans yeah. and in ways because we can't comprehend what mm-hmm. really goes on in that, that deep place where the, our spirit and, and His spirit have true communion. And we get glimpses of it through sometimes the the prophetic word that he gives us, the word of knowledge that he gives us, the the feelings of euphoria when when we're we're filled with the Spirit again, Mm -hmm. baptized by the Spirit once again. But those are just glimpses Mm. of some of those things that are happening at a very deep level. And centering prayer and contemplative mindset in general help us get closer to that, to live less on the periphery and more at our center. So...
1: To me, as I listen to you, it definitely... that We're talking about something that requires, once again, the intentionality to quiet ourselves. Mm-hmm. Am I right? Absolutely. I mean, okay. But it's not walking around quietly all the time. Okay, okay. Yeah, I'm that's a what, pretty that's active... What, I know. That's what I want to get at is if everybody who's listening to you knew you like I do, you're not some mystic that's living out in the desert being <laughs> quiet. You You are incredibly engaged. And I started this by saying... And and this is another thing I really want to highlight. You live out of this contemplative core of abiding in Jesus and and filled with the Holy Spirit at a deep level and I would say therefore really you serve like nobody's business. It's just you you embody to me the spirit of Christ of Philippians 2, you know, who emptied himself and became a man, even a servant among us. And so yeah, I want to say well done, but also not just that. Even as you do that, I guess this is part of it: is you could be doing that for uh, you could be doing that for validation. You could be doing that for people's applaud. You could be doing that for people patting you on the back. Well done. And yet, because would you? I mean, I'm not going to tell you what you need to say here, but but because you've chosen to practice the presence of God in a contemplative. Ongoing lifestyle Mm -hmm. way, you're, you know, talk to me about that, the whole thing of how that helps you to maybe, even if you struggle with, wow,
0: did I do that? I think we were kind of talking about that earlier. Sure. Um, Well, I think this, maybe a little bit of my own history of entering into this, how it was introduced to me would help. When I was, uh, when I first went out into missions, it was with an organization called Word May Flesh. And uh, our our vision, our focus was to serve Jesus among the most vulnerable of the poor, and it meant going into slums and into red light districts and, and making our home in those places and mm. and uh, living in, as incarnationally as we possibly could, uh, so so that our socio socioeconomic status wasn't necessarily a distraction from the gospel. Mm. So, when with that kind of vision and mandate, we very young zealous. Uh, people going out at, right out of college into these into these slums of the, the mega cities around the world. It wasn't long until we started experiencing burnout. Yeah, you get confronted with the most intense needs of the world. They're right there on your doorstep, and if you don't have a, a clear connection to your core of who it is that that you are. And, and who got what what it is that God called you to do and who he is mm-hmm. to you then pretty soon you're going to start operating out of um, a, a response to needs because there are there, there needs there and if I don't meet these needs then then there's something wrong with me mm. if I can't if I can't fix these problems then I'm not good enough or I'm not enough or I'm insufficient um, or it, I, if I don't have enough of of a success then my prayer letters back home aren't going to look very good and then I'm not going to look very good. There's mm-hmm. all of these elements that start to, to feed into why we do what we do and, and pretty soon you just start burning out because there isn't anything left in the tank. And so as we as an organization, as a community, began to um, interact more with, with people who have been doing this for a long time, which included the Missionaries of Charity, the sisters, uh, Mother Teresa's, Missionaries of Charity, but lots of other people who weren't necessarily of a Catholic order or a, um, or any kind of an order at all, but just they were making it work. It, a lot of what seemed to continually ring true over and over again was this consistency of a contemplative mindset. Mm. We're not doing that. The, 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 well, let me say it this way. The less we do it for those peripheral reasons, going back to that whole periphery conversation, and the more we get to the core of, of who we are, the, I'm not worried about what other people think. I'm not worried about whether or not um, I bring about a change in my slum community. I'm not worried about, or I'm not living out of the need to do, see the fruit of my labor. And then we get to that a little bit of a taste of that, the meaning of if you abide in me and I in you, then you will bear fruit. Mm. But if you focus on the fruit, and that's what your goal is, and that's what your whole focus is. Then you're going to become so overwhelmed by the need around you that you're going to burn out. That's the the subtext of that verse. <laughs> mm-hmm. If you read that between the lines of that verse, um, that's what it would say. If you so focus on the fruit, you're going to burn out. Mm-hmm. But if or the fo- need to prove yourself, or the need to through prove what yourself, you're doing through the fruit. Yeah, yeah, yes, mm-hmm. yeah. Or or just to fix the world's problems. Right. Yeah. I think. I think. Um, I think You know, when I look at activists and um, social justice people who don't have this part of who they they are, I see a lot of cynicism. Mm. I see a lot of despair. I see a lot of people who get to that place where they say, I thought I believed in a good God, and he isn't good, because look at the needs of the world. Mm. But that's when we focus on the needs and try to align the needs of the world up to a good God versus keeping our eyes focused on a good God wow. and and then letting the fruit just bear itself out what you
1: just said just made me think this thought of the word of God and just you've already you know you've quoted John 15 4 and 5 you've quoted uh, Paul already you know you're, you're speaking truth from the the truth you know your, your plumb line is God's word um, where does just I don't know in this subject matter of a contemplative lifestyle, what does your interaction with the Word of God look like? I love that
0: question because it gets me to talk about another one of my favorite practices. That's what yeah, I was wondering, like besides centering prayer. Yeah. So uh, another, another one of my favorite practices is Lexia Divina, which is praying the Word. Uh, it's, well, it's, it, it literally means the sacred Word. In Lexia Divina, so I have two ways of interacting with the Word of God. One is I, I read it to learn it. To learn what it says, to learn its cultural context, and and then how it applies to our lives today, mm-hmm. so that's one way I, I interact with the Word of God because I want to know the Word, mm-hmm. but I also practice lectio divina, which is where you take three or four passages, and I'm going to just do a really quick overview of what it is because there's a, there's several steps and there's meaning behind each one, but mm-hmm. um, you read the word a couple of t- those those three or four passages or three or four verses. And you read them a couple of times to become familiar with them. And then you you pause. And then you uh, you invite the Holy Spirit, you know, interact with him a little bit, concede to his presence. Mm-hmm. Then you say, all right, Lord, show me what word or phrase from these three or four verses that I've chosen, what word or phrase stands out to me today. And, and you're not judging it. You're not asking him why yet. You're just looking for that word or phrase that just stands off the page. So by this time now, I've read the passage at least four times. Mm-hmm. Three times in my initial step. Then once as I, before, to look for that word or phrase that stands out to me. And then we wait for a little while. Just kind of chew on that. So then the next step is you read the word again. You read that passage again. And, and this time you ask the question, Lord, well, what is it that, that I'm aware of about this word or phrase that stands out to me? Uh, what am I? What, what feelings and emotions does it evoke in me? Where, where, where do I sense resistance? So sometimes he shows us something and we feel in ourselves this pushback. Like, oh, I don't like what that's drawing me. And, and then we ask him, what is this pulling out of me? And what is, it, um, what is it saying about me? What is it saying about the word? Basically, it's asking, why does this word or phrase stand out to me? Mm-hmm. What, why is it you chose this to speak to me today? And And then you give it five minutes. Sometimes more if you need it, but five minutes of just chewing on that. And and then the last part is, let's just sit. It's a, almost like centering prayer. Mm-hmm. Let's read the that passage one more time. And it, All of this is just three or four verses, mm-hmm. um, but we read it one more time, and then we sit with it. And just not asking the Lord to anything, just let's sit and, and dwell in his presence for a bit. And and uh, in recent years, Lexi Divina has added on a... A last step, which is okay, Lord, how do I obey this? Mm -hmm. Um, Which would be very much in line with kind of our Antioch mindset, like how do I obey? But the only reason that that's there is because in the past that was always implied. The obedience piece was implied. If God, if you're going to be intentional enough to ask God to show you this, and then of course you're going to go out and and do something different. But I think in our our more structured mindset that we have now, uh, Mm -hmm. that that fourth step is necessary. To, to put that on there to say, all right, what's the obedience step for me in regards to what we just talked about and interacted with? So that's, uh, that's Lexio Divina and it's one of my favorite things. I do it at uh, some of our conferences. Mm. I'll, I'll open it up for anybody who wants to join me and yeah. I have several people come and, and we, we, do, we practice a, a Lexio Divina in a group. How does How does it benefit you, Silas? Um, so I was asking myself that question because I knew you were going to ask that one. What's the benefit of this? How does this make us more resilient? And, and so one of the things that came to my mind was you know, I, this idea sometimes we, we get so caught up, and this is for me, I get so caught up in doing the things of God that my soul runs out of room for God. Mm. And so contemplation helps me to recreate the space that my soul desperately needs and longs to to encounter God again. At a, at a deeper and a, a new level. Mm. So um, pushing away all those things that start to, those peripheral things and, and getting to that place that where my soul is, is being tended to. When when we look at the, the parable of the sower, um, I, I've always in the past read this parable as a, an evangelistic story, yeah. a story of evangelism. And only recently have I begun to look at it as a, a personal story. So the sower... Is a constant. He's always sowing, mm-hmm. and that's Jesus. And the seeds are the gospel. So the seed, the fruit of the of the spirit, the fruit of the gospel is you know love, joy, peace, self control, etc. So those seeds are always ready to bear fruit. They're always they're bursting with life and ready to to emerge in in the soil if the soil is the right soil. So what kind of soil am I cultivating in my life? that's going to be ready to receive seeds that will bear the fruit of the gospel. Right. Um, so the goal of, of, in my life then is to be focusing on the soil of my soul. If I'm pushing out and, and drying up the soil of my soul by so much activity and so much focus on, on the goals that, that are set before me, whether that be on my, by, by my own compulsions or by some organizational standard or by my team leader or whatever... Um, but I'm I'm drying up that soil because I'm not focusing in on it and mm. focusing on those goals, then I can be doing so much for, for God that I'm pushing God out. Mm. And so I think for me personally, what a contemplative mindset has done is it's it's intentionally caused me to continually tend the soil of my soul mm. so that I always have room for God in it. It's mm. good. We're we're talking to people in our podcast
1: about how, what practices and what things can you do, what mindsets can you adopt? Um, is there anything else that about, yeah,
0: contemplation that you see as being a benefit to resiliency? Yeah, there's two, two things. Practically speaking, there's another prayer practice that I use in the end of the day called um, the prayer of examine. Mm-hmm. And that's where I look at, with Jesus. I, we just enter into a time of looking at, okay, Lord, through the day, where are the consolations today? And the constellations are those moments where um, I just really experienced that that abiding, that sense of I'm me and the Holy Spirit are hand in hand, just kind of approaching the, the day, whether it be working with youth or in, a, in, a, in my counseling or, or whatever I'm doing, um, building something at my house. Where where in the day was I abiding? And those are the constellations of the day. It could be the, the way I spoke to my children in a really good way and mm-hmm. saw the just that... The, the, the life come to, come to light in their eyes uh, because just somehow I, I connected to the, them in a really meaningful way. Consolations are the happy moments, They're the joyful moments. They are. Yes. They are the moments. Celebrate them, yeah. They, they are. But then, I, I, then we also have to look at the desolations, those things that we'd probably rather not look at mm. and think, boy, we got through the day. Um, tomorrow can be a new one. Hmm. But let's actually go back and look at those hard things let's look at the moments where, and they're called the desolations. They're the moments where we were acting out of our own strength, where we were uh, responding out of our insecurities, where Mm -hmm. we were living out of comparison. And it's the moments where my soul felt the most distant from God. Mm -hmm. It wasn't that God was distant, but it's that I was living so much more on the periphery and less at my center, at my core. And so those are the desolations. And then we just God and I, Jesus and I, we have a little talk about it. Mm -hmm. And the more aware I am of those things, the less, or then the more conscious I am of when I'm stepping into those mindsets and into those uh, activities or behaviors. The next day. The next day. The next next day day or the next day because you're taking time to examine Examine. consolations
1: and desolations. Yeah,
0: and there's no judgment. I'm not sitting there under God's judgment. Mm -hmm. they are just moments where he brings them to mind Mm -hmm. and says, hey, what about this? Uh, this was a part of your day that you didn't let me be a part of with you. Mm. This is a part of your day that um, you kind of uh, boxed me out. Mm. You ghosted me. (laughs) And uh, I really want to be there with you in those. And I'd actually rather you not take the lead on this one next time. Let me take the lead. (laughs) And and, and so that's what the prayer of exam is all about. So I said there's two things. The Mm -hmm. other thing, and this one's going to kind of rub most of us, Mm -hmm. it's going to rub us the wrong way. But you were asking about a mindset that we take on. What kind of a practical mindset would help us to become more contemplative? And I, I want to say that the work of becoming a contemplative person is not a work we do on our own strength. Mm. It's the moment we begin to try to be more contemplative, it ceases. And so mm. what I mean by that, it ceases to be contemplative. It, it it might be something we do, but it ceases to be contemplative. Much of our frustration with contemplation comes because we try so hard, and we don't see the change that we want. Hmm. And that I think that rings true in our if take the word contemplative out and put discipleship in. Put the word our, our spiritual lives. We try so hard, and we don't see the change that we want. Hmm. And then we get frustrated. We get disillusioned, and we we just kind of okay. I'm just either we push away from God, or we just settle into. A, I guess this is the way it's going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, this the true spiritual change doesn't come by our own hard work in fact the harder we work the less success we usually experience so what we need is God's Spirit to enter our lives and do the work for us okay and that's really what contemplation is all about is it's a stepping back which is why centering prayer is so important into in my practice it's stepping back taking all of the 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 power out of my hands and saying, all right Lord I don't know what you want to do in the next 20 minutes and I have no agenda, and I'm not really expecting to come out of it with that that word of knowledge, that that experiential, experiential feeling. I'm just conceding to your presence. Mm. And I'm just going to let you do what it is that you do. And I'm not going to necessarily know what that is. In, in faith, I know that you are doing a deep work in me. And, and then watching over time and realizing, oh, he is. Mm. He is doing that deep work. Yeah. I just am not doing something yeah. to make it happen other than... Giving him the space. Right. Well, Silas, it's, I mean, I
1: think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think what you just now said is probably what you would say would be your, this is that one takeaway that I would want to leave people with. Just yeah. let God do it.
0: Yes. Yeah. 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 Step back, surrender, let him have his way with your, your soul, with your spirit, and, um, and and experience the peace that comes with that. Hmm. We can face a lot of really difficult, challenging, uh, even... Um, uh, painful yes. experiences in a in a resilient way when we can learn to to abide with with God in the midst of it.
1: Amen. do not you pray for us and bless us and uh, just impart what the Lord's
0: given you, Silas? Mm-hmm. Jesus, we we love that you practiced a a sense of abiding and you, know, you you say things like, "I only do what the what the Father, what I see the Father doing." Mm-hmm and what I experienced the Father doing. And yet you also could easily be pulled away by the needs of the world and, and, and stay busy um, in those moments when you were set, trying to set aside time. And it, beca- it was because you operated out of the core of who you were. And, and so I'm sure that even when the needs of the, of the multitude kept you from being able to spend time with the Father, you were still praying, you were still abiding, and so lord uh, jesus we we look to you for that and and father we we love that that you are one who um, who who sent your son to to show us what it means to abide and Holy Spirit, we're so grateful that you are the one who teaches us how to abide you're the one who um, abides with us you are the one who um, who who does the work of transformation in us, and so yes. we look to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, yes. and we call on you to give that blessing, that anointing, that that impartation of of surrender, of abiding, what we call contemplation, into each of the listeners today, and we pray all of these things in your name, Amen. Amen. Well, listeners, thanks again for tuning in. That does it for this episode of Resiliency. You can follow us on Instagram at Resiliency Podcast. And so for now, I'm Silas West, and thank you for listening to Resiliency.